Chapter 2 is an incredibly exciting time in world history. There is a movement that is about to transform the entire world. And it's just a few moments from getting started. Uh, with a very small group of untrained, uneducated, unsophisticated people, God is about to turn the world upside down in just a few short years, and things will not be the same. What's so interesting is just 10 days before this moment here in Acts chapter 2, which is the day of Pentecost, just 10 days before this, Jesus took what was his life mission. The very reason he came, uh, what he believed in, what he lived for, what he carried out, he had just taken that and handed it to his apostles to carry out for themselves as well, to be his mission. He said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that I want you to go and be my witnesses, starting in your own home and working your way out to the rest of the world. That's it, nothing more. Go be my witnesses. Now that includes a lot, being a witness of Jesus. You gotta know who he is, you gotta know what he has done, you gotta know what he's doing right now to bear witness of that. And ultimately we've got to know why that actually matters, why it makes a difference. Who Jesus is, what he did, what he's doing now, why does all of that even matter? This is a pretty simple mission, it's pretty clear, but it's not an easy one. This mission is always, always, go be witnesses of Jesus, has always faced major obstacles, yes, from within, the own heart of the person, and also major opposition from those without. People have not wanted to see this mission spread, and Jesus knew that. He knew that. And so in light of him giving the mission to these 12 men who would then become 120 as a group, who then would continue to grow, and giving this mission to them, he made a promise in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, when he said, here's what the mission is. And his promise was very simply this. And if you look in your Bibles in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses. What's really important to notice about this sentence is that in transferring the mission, Jesus doesn't ask his apostles. He doesn't um, kindly or gently ask them, would you mind being my witnesses? Or, or if it's not too much trouble in your day-to-day -day lives, would you mind you know, giving a witness here or there as, as time permits of who I am to people that you might be around? He doesn't phrase it that way. He says... When the power comes, you will. You will. It's almost like there's a direct result that when the power of the Holy Spirit is active, when he comes, being a wit witness to Jesus becomes natural. I know the topic of the Holy Spirit is one that uh, can sometimes be a little bit confusing, a little bit challenging for us to understand. I hope to make it as plain and as simple as possible today for us, not just that we might intellectually understand who the Holy Spirit is, what He does, what He's about, but also that we might have implication and understanding in our lives and make some sense of it. I think we oftentimes miss the blessing of the Holy Spirit because we're unaware of who He is and what He's doing for us. Now, a lot is often made in this passage in Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, with those of the branch of Christianity known as Pentecostalism, 
where you see the rushing wind and the fire sitting on top of the heads and the speaking in tongues and, and the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. And I want to point out that the presence of the Holy Spirit in this moment, in this day, is not immediately or not, not purposefully or not always having to revolve around the idea of just the rushing wind or the fire that's appearing on top of the heads or the speaking in tongues. That's just the manifestation in that moment of the Holy Spirit. But there are actually, as you look across Scripture, many other ways and many of the consistent ways in which the Holy Spirit interacts with us that we might be witnesses of Jesus. There are two major challenges that we face in living out the mission of Jesus of being witnesses. The, the pretty simple challenges, and um, when I say them, they might sound like pretty modern challenges, but these have been the two same challenges from the day in which Peter preaches at Pentecost until today. These two basic challenges for Christians to share the message of who Jesus is. Challenge number one is, I don't know what to say. And challenge number two is, I'm not sure I have the courage to say it. What to say and the courage to say it. And the presence of the Holy Spirit gives us power to handle both. Let's jump into this. Number one, what to say. This is actually, like I was mentioning, a pretty common problem. And what's interesting is the longer you go in Christianity, it's not like this problem just immediately goes away, like, oh, now I know exactly what to say. Because if you formulate a canned, um, prepackaged answer to every person in every place at every time about who Jesus is, um, what, why it matters, what they should know about him, and you don't get to know the person, you don't understand the person, that prepackaged, canned answer of Jesus will not be effective. When you watch the book of Acts, when you look at it, from Acts chapter 2 to chapter 3 to chapter 4 into chapter 8, the message of Jesus is simple and is clear, but it's not always said in the same way. It's not always. So what to say has always been a problem, and it doesn't get easier. The principles are the same, the gospel of Jesus. But what changes is the people. You see this uh, later in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 14, when Paul goes to Iconium, a place that was known to have gods of the, uh, they, they were farming people, and so they worshiped the gods of the ground and the gods of the rain. And Paul brings out their worship of those gods to show them who Jesus and God and the Father really is. And then Paul goes to Athens, who had a, a place full of philosophy and a place full of uh, loved ideas and gods. And, and Paul points out and says, hey, to the God that you don't know yet, let me show you who he is. And so in every place and every time, Paul was preaching, the, the apostles were preaching the gospel of Jesus, but they were discussing that with people who might be different. You see, knowing what to say has always been kind of a challenge. The apostles struggled with this as well. You remember, just 10 days before the apostles began this mission in Pentecost, they were confused. Making sense of Jesus, his work at the cross, and how that made a difference in someone's life was not something that these men knew really well. In fact, they were asking all the wrong questions in Acts chapter 1. So the question is, how does the Holy Spirit help us know what to say? He does this in two ways. One, he enlightens us. Now, let me just say that the Bible does not 
make a tension that human beings make sometimes when we talk about the Holy Spirit enlightening us. The Bible does not pit human learning against the power of the Holy Spirit. There are some people that say we need more of the Spirit, and so we don't need necessarily to be learning as much. The Holy Spirit just will come upon us and miraculously tell us what to say. The Bible doesn't present it that way. But the Bible also doesn't present that all we have to do as human beings is just become better at retaining information. Just learn more of the Bible that you learn, learn every verse of the Bible, memorize every piece of scripture, and you don't need the Holy Spirit, and you'll just know exactly what to do. That's not the case. In fact, men who are missing the Holy Spirit in John chapter 5, Jesus says, you read the scriptures, you know the scriptures, but you have no idea that they're talking about me. You've missed the point. There are, you can know, in fact, uh, the class that I took at Ohio University on New Testament, the man that taught the class, Dr. George Weckman, knew verses of the Bible way more fluently than I did, still even to this day. He could quote to you full-length epistles like the epistle of Galatians. He could, he could repeat that thing to me, word for word, from beginning to the end. And he looked at Scripture and he said, it's not from God. He looked at Jesus and said he's a fraud. And he spent the entire semester telling us all the ways that the New Testament is not divine. He knew the Bible and didn't understand the message. You see, the Bible does not pit against each other the learning that you and I must do and the work that the Holy Spirit does in our life. They actually have to coexist together. Think of it this way. The Word of God is firewood and the Holy Spirit is fire. Without both of them, fire does not exist. The disciples went through, if you remember in Acts chapter 1, a 40-day intensive training in Scripture. In Scripture. And the Spirit's power worked in them so that they finally began to understand it. It's the job of the Spirit to take the truth that we know and enlighten our minds to what it means. You need Him. You and I need Him for that. In John 14, 15, and 16, Jesus was teaching the, the, the disciples in the upper room about what the Holy Spirit was going to do when He came. And His message over and over was, He will guide you into all truth. He will make what I've told you vivid. He will make what I've told you. He'll manifest it to you. 1 Corinthians 2 tells us that the carnal mind, what carnal means fleshly or human mind, can't understand the things of God, but that which is of the Spirit can. You see, it's the job of the Spirit to take the truth of God and make it alive or vivid. The Spirit takes what our mind has learned and opens our eyes to spiritual understanding. Ephesians 1, this is what drove the prayer of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 1 when he says, I pray that God would give you the spirit of wisdom so that your eyes will be open to know the hope of His calling, the riches of His inheritance, and the greatness of His power that works towards you. What Paul was praying is that the Holy Spirit would make a difference in what these people were learning so that we might see it come alive. We see this happen with uh, Peter in action. He, Peter goes from an informed person in Acts chapter 1, but missing the point, to an enlightened person. The penny drops, so to speak, for Peter in Acts chapter 2 when he preaches. And this is what the Holy Spirit does for us when we submit and pray and faithfully sit under the Word of God. He takes the information that we learn and drives it 18 inches south so that our eyes are open to the riches and the glory of Christ. So it's vital for you today to, when you are wanting to know what to say, 
to spend time in Scripture, to spend time saying Paul's prayer. As he works, you will learn how and what to share. The second thing he does, he enlightens us, but he also guides us. Two things are really clear from Peter's message in Acts chapter 2, which we'll learn about next week. Number one, it is God exalting. Peter, over and over, you look down in verse 11. Um, it says that, that, that they were hearing, the Jews and the proselytes, the Cretans, the Arabians, all of them were hearing Peter and the rest of the men telling them in their own tongue the mighty works of God. So when you wonder what it is that we should say, the Holy Spirit enlightens you to what the truth is about, the, about Scripture, about Christ, but He also guides us. And the way that He guides us, number one, is that He makes things God and Christ exalted. One of the jobs of the Holy Spirit in John 16, verse 14 says that He exalts or magnifies Jesus. And so if you hear somebody saying, hey, listen, I'm all about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is what we need, and, and magnifying the Holy Spirit they're missing the point of what the Holy Spirit really does. The Holy Spirit points to, screams about, directs us and guides us to making the most of who God is in Jesus Christ. And the second thing that he does, that Peter did in his message, was he made it very personal. And this is one of the things that you and I need to be engaging in when we think about how we speak to people about the message of Jesus. In Colossians chapter 4, verses uh, 2 through about six, I want to read this to you. Paul would say it this way when talking about how we can perform or work um, the mission of God. He says in chapter two, <clears throat> I'm sorry, chapter four, verse two, that you and I are to continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of your time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. You see, Paul wants us in carrying out the mission of Christ to be ready to answer each person. He wants us to know how to, in a nuanced fashion, address the needs of every individual with the Word of God. And he starts all that by saying, you and I need to be people of prayer. Now, why would we pray? Why would, what would prayer have anything to do with this if God is not involved through the Holy Spirit in guiding us to open doors for Christ and to help us in situations. So, when you look at the first problem of sharing the glory of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus with others, and it, the first problem being you don't know what to say, the work of the Holy Spirit enlightens us to the truth of Scripture, why it really matters, who Jesus is, the importance of that, and He brings that to life for us. And He guides us by making our message God-exalting and personally supportive to those that we are addressing. So it's problem number one. We don't always know what to say. You and I need to be disciplined in learning Scripture and prayerful that the Scripture will come alive to us so that you and I can be able to share that with others. But the second problem is this. Because sometimes we actually do know what to say. But we actually lack the courage to say it. The experience of fear is what demands that you and I have courage. We experience fear all 
time. People are experiencing that's really what makes us hold back and hesitate from sharing Jesus with people, the experience of fear. But for us, and most of the time, <clears throat> fear is not necessarily a physical thing. In fact, when physical force was the threat against the disciples, that's not the thing that they feared. We, we see those in, in, in history, uh, when you read like Fox's Book of Martyrs and some other stories that you can find, the fear that most people had when they were Christians and spreading the message was not even the physical threats that were brought to them. The fear that we oftentimes experience is the social and the emotional fear. Fear is best understood in scripture as not just um, trepidation, but it's best understood as reverence. We really actually oftentimes care about what people think of us. And that's the driving motivation of our fear and not being willing to share who Jesus is. We actually really care about what people think about us. And this happens in two ways. One of them seems kind of positive and maybe it's something that we don't fear but we do. And the other is the obvious or the most negative one. And they happen in both of our, in both, they both happen in our story. Look down in verse 13. Um, we see in Acts chapter 2 and verse 13 when the Holy Spirit comes and the, and the apostles are speaking in the native language of all of the people who are listening around, the, one of the reactions we see in verse 13 is this. When they were perplexed at what people were saying about the goodness of God, it says there were others who were mocking us. They were mocking Peter. They were mocking them. They were saying they must be filled with new wine or they must be drunk. You see, the first one is probably the most common that you're aware of. The this, this most common assumption that invokes our fear. We'll be ridiculed. We'll be mocked. I was reminded this week, I sat with a college student who's back from college just this week who was telling me that he was in his, a lecture of 300 people and um, the, the professor was telling a story uh, and giving some lecture and he made mention of, basically hinted at if people believe in God, they must be, you know, kind of idiots, foolish, simpleton, so to speak. And all, he said all 250 people in the audience just died laughing. And he said he, he felt so alone because everybody was laughing and he wasn't. Because he thinks you can believe in God and not be a simpleton. And this is the kind of fear I think that we experience oftentimes when we think about sharing Jesus. The idea of being mocked or ridiculed, isolated. This experience provokes a powerful sense of loneliness. That if I share Christ, I might be isolated. I might be the only one. I might be alone. It leaves us afraid. Some of you may be afraid of this experience. You have to be honest with yourself and think about it. Some of you may not. This may not be your fear. We'll talk about another one in just a moment. The question is, how does the Holy Spirit give you courage to not fear rejection? How does he do that? Well, the first thing he does, we see in Romans 5, 5, is that it says that the Holy Spirit pours into our hearts the love of God. It is the Holy Spirit that continues to lay upon our hearts, to pour into our hearts the fact that we have been fully embraced and fully loved by God. So, if even the worst case scenario for us, that we are completely isolated in a room of 250 people, we're the only ones, there's a love that can extend beyond the acceptance of 250 people in a room on this particular day. We have a reminding of the love of God that the Holy Spirit does that. something you should pray for. Number two, the Holy Spirit reminds us of the acceptance we have in Jesus Christ. 
In John 16, verse 10, one of the ways in which Jesus explains how the Holy Spirit will bless us, he says the Holy Spirit will convict, he says, first the world of sin, but then he said he convicts of righteousness, of righteousness. You see, one of the powerful works of the Holy Spirit is that he constantly reminds us that we have a righteousness, as Paul would say, not a righteousness of my own that is of my own doing, but a righteousness that comes by faith in Jesus Christ. You and I have a righteousness, and what righteousness gives us from the biblical standpoint is acceptance. That the God of the universe has not just extended pity and mercy and graciousness and said, I'll let you off the hook, it's okay. He's brought us in to embrace us and love us and accept us. That truth has to be driven into your reality. Or you'll never overcome the fear of people rejecting you. If you don't have the truth of God's love, not just here, but here, and if you don't have the assurance of God's acceptance, not just here and in your words, but here, you will always fear people. Because people will have what you believe to be a love and acceptance that you think you need. But once you get that from God, you'll be free from the people and their love and their acceptance, and you'll be able to share Jesus to them. So that's the negative version, that we're afraid of being mocked and ridiculed. But you know there's another way that we fear sharing Jesus? Look at back up in verse 7 of chapter 2. When these guys were talking about the greatness of God, and there were those around hearing the word of God in their own native tongue, it says that there was a group that were amazed and astonished at them. There was a group that was impressed with Peter that he was speaking in tongue. Aren't these Galileans? They don't know our language. There were a group of people impressed with John, impressed with Andrew. They were impressed with them. They were amazed by them. Now this might not seem like something that we should be afraid of, right? It feels good when people are impressed and amazed with us. So why should I be afraid of that? Am I afraid? This is just as dangerous as the one I was sharing with you before. You see, this problem, when people are amazed with us, impressed with us, invokes not a powerful sense of loneliness, but a powerful sense of importance. It scratches our divine inch for glory, you might say. Now, some of you may be in relationships where you are comfortable even talking about Jesus. It might not be an uncomfortable thing for you to, to talk about faith and talk about what you believe in and talk about Jesus, but you might be afraid to share ways that you've been convicted to grow. And even more, you might be afraid to share ways that that person in your life needs to grow. And so maybe you like talking about religion and you like talking about morality and you like talking about Christianity and you like talking about Jesus in these relationships, but maybe you might be afraid of losing their reverence and awe for you by confronting them in ways that they need to grow. You see, their amazement with you and your fear of losing that can also withhold you from having a courage of saying things you need to say. Oftentimes, I think as humans, we enjoy the recognition of being having moral standards for the Christians. I think we enjoy the recognition of having biblical knowledge. Yeah, that's the guy that knows the Bible. That's the girl that can quote a verse. And sometimes I think we love being thought of by people well. That's the good person. They do the right thing. 
this takes courage for us to overcome our fear of losing praise of people for the conviction of God. So how does the Holy Spirit work in this? As I mentioned before, number one, he affirms your status as a child of God. Romans 8, 14 and 15 says, it's the Spirit who bears witness with our spirit that yes, we are children of God, righteous and accepted, as I mentioned in John 16, that we are convicted of our righteousness in Jesus Christ. That we have a status with somebody that is greater than even the people that we have a status with right now that respect us. And our status with this God is that we're accepted. The second thing that the Spirit does, as I mentioned, is that He magnifies Jesus. And this works in two ways. One, He declares to us the glory of Jesus. That the name of Jesus is to be exalted higher than my name. So as I enjoy a social status of praise, that people are impressed with my moral standards, biblical knowledge, being thought well of, there's one who is to be glorified in that person's life higher than me. And the magnification of Jesus should humble me to say, I need that person to glorify Jesus, not me. And if right now they honor and glorify me because I'm the guy in the office that knows the Bible, but they don't honor and glorify Jesus, they might have a respect for the Bible, but not for Jesus. And they need that. And the other thing it does is it humbles us. In lightness of the greatness of Jesus, it should humble us to say, who are we before him? And we pray that he does that for us. The third thing he does is that he makes his presence with us known. Um, if you notice in uh, the reading that Gene read, remember um, the Holy Spirit was like a rushing wind. It, it, the sound was like that. And on top of every person, there was the image of, remember, fire. And what's interesting about fire in the Bible is this, that when God manifests himself, he manifests himself most often with fire. You remember how he showed up to Moses? What was the bush doing? Burning. And by night, how did he lead the nation of Israel? By fire. Now, why does this matter? Because it wasn't just the 11 and then 12 apostles that had fire on top of their head. How many had fire on top of their head? All 120. Here's the point. The presence of God was now not just in the super-ordained apostles. It was in every person in that room, male and female, trained and untrained, close to Jesus, peripheral to Jesus. All 120. Brothers of Jesus biologically and brothers of him spiritually. All of them had the presence of God. And the Holy Spirit, as Jesus promised, he said, I will send him to you. I won't leave you as an orphan. When he was leaving, he said, go make disciples of all nations. He says, lo, I am with you always. So Jesus affirms our status. The Holy Spirit, pardon me, affirms our status, magnifies Jesus, that you and I need to be doing that. And he confirms his presence in our life. We need to be prayerful people that we become aware of the Holy Spirit in our life. So you have to ask yourself this. Whichever way you fear people, do you love their praise so you're afraid of losing it? Confrontation of who Jesus is might actually lose you that praise? Or do you fear rejection, mocking? Whatever way, the Holy Spirit is God's power in your life to help you break free of this fear. He will remind you of God's love, Christ's righteousness, the glory of Jesus in his presence. And here's the beautiful thing. When Jesus, to his 
11 disciples said, go make disciples of all nations. He was not saying this to them because they were the most qualified or the best at it. What he was doing was saying, the process of you going to tell people about me doesn't just change that person's life, it's going to change your life. You see, when you engage in the mission of God, when you are responsible to go and tell people about the glory of Jesus, the greatness of God, it won't leave you the same. It will change you. When these things about the Holy Spirit that they bring into reality, the presence of God, the love of God, the, Christ, the righteousness of Christ that is ours now to enjoy, when those become real to us, not just facts that we know, but fuel to our hearts, when the penny, so to speak, drops and we get it, when the Holy Spirit helps us overcome our fears, He's driving into us the reality of who God is, who Christ is, and who we are in Christ. He's transforming us. And He teaches us that there is a love that we've never had before, an unconditional acceptance that we have never seen, a glory that goes beyond anything we can imagine. Then and only then, the mission of Christ is happening to you. And then and only then will you want to share in that mission with others. I can't understand why anyone would want to share Christ until these realities come true to them. It doesn't make sense to want to share Christ with someone if Christ is not something you want to share. And so the Holy Spirit makes Christ to you something that is shareable, something that's beautiful, something that's wonderful, something that's life-changing. And when that becomes your reality, that becomes what you'll want to share. There's nothing in the world like it. Holy Spirit convinces us and reminds us of is don't miss out. So if you're here this morning and the righteousness of Christ is not something that you've had, His acceptance, the love of God is something that is just theory but not reality, and the presence of God is something you're longing for, you know, you were made to have God's love, God's presence, the righteousness of God. Don't miss out. Let us help you if you need that today. And if you have fear of sharing that, let the Holy Spirit help you overcome that fear so that you can get on mission with God. Let's stand and sing.